We're going to be in Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 through 6. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles there, turn on your Bibles there, or you can look on the screen for the verse right up behind me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, yeah, verse 8 through 9. And it says this. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from his spirit, from the spirit, reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What I want to title this message today, and actually we're starting a new series starting today, and what we want to title this message in this series is The Long Church. The Long Church. Will you pray with me for a minute? Lord, we love you. And God, we submit to your authority right now. Would you do what you want to do ultimately, God? And I'm believing, Lord, that, that faith is going to be built in this room. God, as we submit to your word. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us resist the urge to maintain as much of us as we can while approaching your word. And I'm asking that you would give us the strength, Lord, to die to ourselves and fully submit to the authority of your word. God, we're here to be changed, changed by you. So form us, Lord. We love you so much, Father. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The long church. The long church. I love being a part of a church that is older than me. <laughs> I'm 26, about to be 27 and our church is 40, almost 40 years old in September, 40 years old. Now, I'm not sure if you're loving church, if you kind of are trying out church, if you want to be engaged in church, maybe somebody sent you this video and they're trying to get you to be involved in church. I'm not sure where you're at, but I love a long church and I believe that God loves a long church. And by long, we're not just talking about like the permanence of something, the length of something, how long it's been around, just talking about time. Because how many of you know that just because something lasts a long time doesn't mean that it's good? I mean, like we could, we could have some relationships that last a long time, but that doesn't mean that they're good relationships. We, we, we could be at a job for a long time, but that doesn't mean that we're a good employee. <laughs> we, 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 could, we could be in church for a long time, but that doesn't mean that we're very good at following Jesus. Just because something has been around for a long time doesn't mean inherently that it's good. But God loves a long church. 
I believe that God invests in a long church. I'm humbled to be a part of a long church, not just in length 40 years. I'm sure there are many churches even in our area that are longer in length and time span than us, but a long church specifically talking about our perspective, not just our permanence. Talking about how do we see the church in the way that God has designed the church to be seen? What does the church look like in its history? And what have you accomplished in your time? I believe that God loves a long church and inherent in this long church. Really what I'm looking for us to understand is this scary word called commitment. We don't like committing to a lot of things. We like the idea of, of subscribing to something and being able to cancel it whenever we want. We like the idea of, of, of having things on our own terms. So I start it when I want it to start. And as soon as I want it to stop, that's when I can push it away. I don't need it anymore. Commitment. We even like relationships this way. We like having all the benefits of a relationship without any of the commitment of one. Commitment isn't a word that we really like in our culture. It's not even really valued in our culture. We jump from job to job, not saying that's a bad thing. We jump from relationship to relationship. We jump from season to season, city to city, thing to thing. And we don't really have this value of commitment in our country. And to be a long church means one thing. It means not just committing to each other, but it also means committing to God. Over the long haul. Have you committed to God? The long church in a church, sorry, in a culture that is all about short-term gain, the church is about the long-term goal. We see something beyond what's right in front of us. There's a length to our church because in all reality, discipleship with Jesus is long. It's not just a one-time decision. It's an everyday choice. And as we follow Jesus in an everyday choice, it, it, it creates this, this, this environment within our church that makes it longer than just the years that we've been around. It's the long church. And, and as we talk about the long church, we kind of have to first define what is the church? What's the purpose? I mean, if you think about the purpose, you can go to a dictionary and the, the dictionary will probably tell you something to the effect of the church is a house of worship. Right? If you go through history, you'll probably find that people would say the church is probably a place where saints go, good people. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, you'll probably find Jesus even saying that the church is actually supposed to be a hospital for the hurting. And even though we find all these things that the dictionary might tell you it's a place of worship, that history might tell you it's a place for saints, and Jesus might tell you it's a place for sinners, all of those are well and good and even true, but that speaks to what the church does, not necessarily what the church is. Some of us have this idea that church is something I do. It's a place that I go. It's a building that I attend. It's a service that I go to. But let me tell you, friends, church is far more than something that you do. Church is something that you are. Jesus never spoke about the church as if it was a place. He spoke about it as if it was a people. He never spoke about it, and you find it in the New Testament, as something... That was, a, play, that was a, a building that you go to. It's actually referred to as the body of Christ. When we 
I have this idea of church. We have to understand that the long church is not about a building that's been in a place for X amount of years. It's about a people who have been committed to God for the long haul. The long church. The long church. You know, I really believe that this idea of the long church really has something to do between the idea of who we are in what we do. Because some of us have this idea that uh, uh, I have something that's like my calling, which is maybe more important or maybe even preeminent to my character. And I think that's where Christians get in trouble some of the most. Because we try and walk in our calling without our character. We try and do what God told us to do without being who God told us to be. And therefore, we have people who don't like the church because one thing doesn't line up with the other. And here's the thing. You might even be right. If you're the church, you might be true. You might be preaching truth. But here's the thing. It's very hard to receive truth when it comes from a hypocrite. You might be right, but you might be very unpalatable for somebody else who doesn't know truth yet. Because you're walking in your calling and not in your character. And here's the thing, calling and character, both very important to God, very important to us. And I really believe that no matter how truth comes, you should receive truth. And can we present truth in a way where people can actually receive it well by walking in our character and in our calling? The church, not just something that we do, but it's actually something that we are. And I believe that some of us have an issue following Jesus for the same reason, that our lives are actually seemingly contradicting themselves. We say we believe one thing, but we do something else. And it's like a magnet with the poles facing each other, and you find that they're almost butting up against each other because they're both trying to have their way. And our lives are looking similar to say that I say I believe one thing about God and about the world and it shapes everything that I do and our actions do something completely different. We contradict ourselves. What we say and what we believe don't match. It's this idea that purpose and identity are fused together, but one absolutely comes first. Purpose. Identity, the purpose, the calling, the thing that you feel like God has for you to do that nobody else can do, the uniqueness and the specialty that God has given to you. And we believe that for you. And I believe that God has called you to do amazing things. And I also believe that God has given you an identity as a son or a daughter, that you are actually called to be a royal priesthood, that you are actually called to be someone different in the world. And if we know that they are fused, but one doesn't come first, we will only pursue pursue our purpose without actually walking in our identity. Your identity will fuel your purpose. Don't get it twisted. Some of us think I'll do it and then I'll become it. And that might happen maybe at your, uh, at, 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 when you played sports in high school, that might happen when you faked it till you make it in high school for, 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 for classes in biology that might happen maybe in all these other minor areas of life, but it won't happen in your walk with Christ. We have to know who we are before we can do what we're called to do. Purpose and identity are fused, but one always comes first. Jesus lived this out. He, um, at the beginning of his ministry, Mark chapter 3, we find this, that 
Jesus is called um, into ministry, but he hasn't started his ministry yet. What happens is that he goes to the River Jordan and he finds John the Baptist there who has been baptizing scores and scores of people. And as Jesus approaches John the Baptist, he looks at him and he says, you need to baptize me. John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, I'm not even fit to untie your sandals. Like you're the Messiah. I can't do that. What is, this doesn't even make any sense. And, and Jesus responds, in order to fulfill all righteousness, you must do this. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes up out of the water and this beautiful moment in Mark chapter 3 happens where Jesus the Son comes out of the water. A dove descends on his shoulder and you hear this voice from heaven speaking in Mark chapter 3 that simply says this, from the Father, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a beautiful moment of the Gospels of where you see the triune God. You see the Son being baptized, coming out of the water, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the Father speaking from heaven, affirming the identity of who he is. Mark chapter 3, and then you get to Mark chapter 4. And you find Mark chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, that from that time on, Jesus went on to preach. Hmm. From that time on. Jesus went on to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, if we try and walk in our calling before standing in our identity, we will inevitably fall. (laughs) Why do we think that Jesus needed his identity confirmed by the Father before walking in his purpose, but you don't need yours? Jesus, Mark chapter 3. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mark chapter four, from that point on, Jesus started preaching about the kingdom of God. Some of us just have Christianity backwards. You're trying to walk in your purpose without your identity. You're trying to do what God, you feel like God is calling you to do without being who God has called you to be. If we have not received a clear identity from the Father, we will inevitably trip over our purpose time and time and time again. Or maybe we'll start calling ourselves to things that Jesus actually never called us to. Maybe we'll start trying to attain things that Jesus never gave us to take hold of. Maybe we'll start to live ways that Jesus never gave us the anointing to live. We need our identity affirmed by the Father before we start walking and our purpose. And here's the thing. I believe that you are anointed to do something. And I believe that you are more importantly anointed to be something. The church. The long church. So if that's the church, then it kind of begs the question, then who are we? Who are we? Because the scripture teaches that the church is a few things. It teaches that the church is a royal priesthood. It teaches that the church is actually uh, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. It teaches that the church is uh, salt and light in the earth. It teaches that the church is the body of Christ. It teaches one of my favorites that the church is actually the bride of Christ. That we have been given something to be. And now because of who we are, the word asks us to act out what we're supposed to do. In order for us to be a long church, we cannot just walk in our purpose. We need to walk in our identity. The long church. It's important because 
of who you are. And dare I say, it might even be more important because of who you are becoming. Because we're all becoming something. Every one of us in this room is becoming something. You don't become a great father once you have a kid. You are becoming the father that you will be right now. You don't become a great spouse once you say, I do. You are becoming the spouse that you will be. You don't become a great Christian just because you prayed a prayer. You are becoming the follower of Jesus that you will be. All of us are becoming something. What are you becoming? And maybe even the question for us in this room today gathered is, what are we becoming? You consider the church, and if you consider yourself part of Grace Covenant Church, I I ask you the question, what are we becoming? When you think of grace in the next 40 years, what is Grace Covenant Church becoming? You might be saying, well, isn't that your job? (laughs) I see how you think that, but the church, is it my job? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, what if I don't know? The church is full, it says in Corinthians, that we are all parts of the body and individually members of it. So for me to say, who are we becoming, directly asks the question, who are you becoming? Because whoever you become is whoever we become. If you start to distinguish yourself, set yourself out of the church body and say, no, that's your job. You guys become that thing. You guys do your thing. I'll stick along for the ride and jump in on the highlights. Then you don't understand what the church is because who you become is who we become. Because we're all parts of the body and individually members of it. Who are you becoming? Because anybody can become something for a season. That's not New Year's resolutions teach us that anybody can be fit for a season. You you can get a personal trainer. You you can start taking all your vitamins. You can get your eight hours of sleep. You can drink a gallon of water and you can go to the gym five days a week for a month. Anybody can be fit for a season, but that doesn't mean you're fit for the long haul. Anybody could be kind for a season. You can say, you know what, Pastor, you really inspired me. I'm going to change the way that that I treat my family and and the way that I treat my coworkers and the way that I treat my employees. I'm not going to use people anymore. Absolutely. I'm going to do anybody can be kind for a season, but can you be kind for the long haul? Anyone can be generous for a season. You inspired me. I want to give to what Grace Loves is doing. I see the church is doing something. I want to give to the building projects. I want to give my tithes and my offering to the church and ultimately to God. I want to do that. Anyone can be generous for a season. Anyone can follow Jesus for a season. (laughs) Anybody could say, yeah, you know what, Jesus? Help help me make my life a little bit better. I'm going to give myself to you. Anybody can follow Jesus for a season. Doing something for a season, being something for a season is not the tell of a long church. It's can you do it for the long haul? Can you be committed to it? Anyone can be anything for a season. Because no matter what you think and no matter 
where you are, you are becoming something. What are you becoming? What are we becoming? Are you becoming more patient? Are you becoming more kind? When you consider the last year to this year, are you more generous? Are you more self-controlled? Are you more joyful with your family? When you consider your life, when you consider this church, who are you becoming? Paul wrote to the church at Galatia something really, really specific. And essentially what Paul is saying is he's just trying to get the gospel into the church for six chapters. If you want to know, the point is that he's trying to take away works righteousness and put in God's righteousness in the church of Galatia. A church that was so, uh, actually not too different from us. It was, it was very much based off of works. Not, I'm saying, not saying it's, it's similar to our church, similar to our culture, that it's based off of works. It's what can I do for God that God will be pleased with me and therefore I'll be blessed by God. They, they were obsessed with the circumcision. They were obsessed with keeping the laws. They were obsessed with who was your ancestor. Were you a Jew or were you a Gentile? Were you Greek? Were you the son of Abraham or were you not? They were obsessed with everything that their flesh could do. In Galatia, being obsessed with the law really meant one thing, that they were obsessed with the performance of man. What can I do for God? And Paul spends six chapters trying to teach them a simple truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ and following him has been or has never been about what can you do for God. It has always been about what has God done for you. A church that's obsessed about their performance for Jesus and Paul is desperately trying to get them to see, what about Jesus' performance for you? Have you ever considered that maybe when Jesus said it is finished on the cross that he meant it? Have you ever thought that Jesus actually meant it when he said that it is not by your works that you're saved, but it's actually by believing in his finished work? We all know the verse, John three sixteen. that's whosoever works. We'll have everlasting life. Whosoever gives will have everlasting life. Whosoever has the best intentions. No, it's whosoever believes. Paul's trying to get them to understand this simple truth that the gospel is not about their performance for Jesus, but Jesus's performance for them. <laughs> He's trying to get them to understand their character before they walk in their calling. You see, Paul inserts this interesting phrase here about sowing and reaping, not like sowing a needle, but sowing seeds into the ground. He's saying when you sow, you're going to reap a harvest. Who, he who sows according to the flesh, he says, will reap corruption. Their harvest will be corruption, but he who sows according to the spirit will reap everlasting life. Now, Paul is not trying to get them to understand like a, a weird pseudo-Christian karma. It's like, if you do bad things, then bad things will happen. And if you do good things, then good things will happen. That's not what Paul is saying. Why do we know that? It's because you go to Galatians chapter 5, just the chapter right before this, verse 6. And he says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither is circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
He's saying your effort does not count for your righteousness according to how it works with God. So this is not about me trying to do good things for God so that he'll bless me and me stop doing bad things for God so that I don't get cursed. He's trying to give them an an illustration about how the kingdom of heaven works with what has God given you and how are you using it? It says one sows in the flesh and reaps corruption, but one sows in the spirit and reaps eternal life. I really believe that Paul is saying one simple thing as it goes to living a long church. He says this, are you living from and towards God? Are you living from what has got what God has done for you and towards God's ultimate purpose? Simply this, are you living in response to Jesus and towards Jesus? If you live in response to Jesus and towards Jesus, you don't have to wonder if you're going to be a long church. You don't have to wonder if you're going to sow according to the spirit or sow according to the flesh. He's saying if you would live in response to what Jesus has done and toward what Jesus is doing, you will sow according to the spirit. So according to the spirit is being aware of God's divine purpose and character being formed within the believer. Living with the awareness that God is doing something in your life. Are you living from and towards God? Because he's saying that there are only two ways that you can sow, but both ways are going to reap a harvest. You can sow according to the flesh and you will reap corruption. And you can sow according to the spirit and you will reap eternal life. Who are you becoming? Are we becoming a long church? See, I I believe that there are two simple ways that we can become a long church. We can be an everyday church and we can be an until heaven church. An everyday church in an until heaven church. An everyday church is that means that we are not Christians occasionally, we are Christians consistently. We don't follow Jesus when it seems convenient and good for us to do so. We don't follow Jesus when it feels like he's going to further my agenda for my life. But every single day, I wake up with the awareness that God has called me to do something and to be something. And I live according to that mentality, that God is working something within me. And now I become a Christian who wakes up every day and says, I'm going to sow according to the spirit, which means I'm going to live from what God has done and towards what God is doing. An everyday church. An everyday church is people who are committed to God consistently and not just occasionally. Not just in seasons, but for the long run. Because (laughs) Jesus, yes, changes your whole life. But Jesus doesn't just change your whole life. Jesus changes your day. You know, like some of us come to God and we, and we consider like God's going to change my whole life. And yes, he will. He'll redeem you. He'll, he'll, he'll give you new desires. He, he'll, he'll, he'll give you a relationship with his son. He'll put his spirit on the inside of you. You will go to heaven. God will change your life. 
But God also wants to change your day. If your day hasn't been changed by Jesus, I would question whether your life has been. If your day looks the exact same from before you met Jesus to now, I would question if Jesus has changed your life because Jesus can't change your life without changing your day. Are we living every day following Jesus? Or is this something we throw on during the high moments and we throw on during the low moments? What I've seen with followers of Jesus in one of our biggest potholes is that we exercise our faith in the extremes and not in the mundane. So we exercise our faith when, when we're in the valley, right? So in the low points, we know that we need God then. So then we start to pray and we start to fast and we start to go to church and we start to give and we start to try and be good people. And we start to read our Bible and we exercise our faith in the valley or, or maybe you're on the mountaintop and you realize God got me here. I couldn't have done it without God. I'm at this high place. So you feel like you need to be grateful or you need to give or you need to live in response to God. But we live in this extreme of my faith belongs in one of those two places when God is actually saying that you've been given faith for your everyday life. It's not just you needed to be used in the extreme, but actually in the mundane. That every single day, God is inviting us into another journey of faith with him. <laughs> it says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We see Jesus is praying the Lord's prayer, and he says this, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says this, give us this day our daily bread. And what you don't see here is obvious, but Jesus doesn't say, give us this day our weekly bread. Give us this day our monthly bread. God, give me this day my quarterly, my yearly bread, my seasonally bread. You don't find Jesus saying that. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus only gives you enough for today. Jesus doesn't give you enough for tomorrow. And some of us get frustrated at that because we are experts in living in tomorrow. We love tomorrow. We're always preparing for tomorrow. And here's the issue with that. It's because we start to neglect today in hopes of tomorrow. And Jesus, this goes directly against his teaching. He actually said, don't worry about tomorrow. He says, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. He says, worry about today. Consider today. Why? I believe because Jesus is saying contentment can only be found in today. You can't be content in tomorrow. It's not possible. You can't be content in yesterday. It's not possible. Jesus is saying, focus, live every day. Be an everyday church. Be a daily bread church. Be a church that says, you know what, God? I trust and believe that you've given me exactly what I need for today. So that's what I'm going to be concerned with. I'm going to give you today. I'm not going to sacrifice today in search of tomorrow. And I'm not going to neglect what I ought to be today because of who I want to be tomorrow. I'm going to be an everyday church, knowing that Jesus has changed my life, so therefore he has to have changed my day. 
if he changes my day, then God doesn't call me to do something that he doesn't equip me to do. So God, I'm looking for my daily bread. I'm looking for your grace today. I'm looking to sow the seed according to the spirit today. I'm convinced that God only gives seeds, not trees. Like God doesn't give something full grown. He gives you a seed. And it's this principle in the scriptures called stewardship. In which you have something and care and take care of something. Which was not yours to begin with. But which was given to you. And then you will have to give an account for it later on. And and I'm convinced that the Lord continues to give seeds and not trees. He gives things full of potential. And we need to be believers who live based off of obedience, not based off of outcomes. Simply saying, Lord, whatever you've given me, I'm going to take care of today. To be a long church, we can never neglect today. When I was younger, uh, we had this apple tree in our yard that my parents, I don't know, what, but they, they called it my apple tree. So I call it my apple tree, although I was like six, right? So like I didn't do any work, but it was my apple tree. And as we had this apple tree, like it, it, it grew up in, and over the course of years, obviously no apples, no apples. And all of a sudden we have this moment where we have like all these amazing red apples. And, and part of the story is uh, I was really upset because we had this deer who like lived in our neighborhood that would always just like jump the fence over into our yard and start just eating the apples right off my tree. And I'd be like looking throughout the window, like shaking my fist at this deer and be like, those are my apples. Even though I did nothing to work for this tree, Right. And so we had like this beautiful apple tree and I loved this apple tree. I was like so proud of it. And and it was like one of my favorite things. And, and as I was considering this story, like this past week or past couple of weeks, I, I started to look up some facts about apple trees. And did you know that it takes about four to eight years for an apple tree to produce apples? Eight years. (laughs) And I consider, I'm like, they must have planted this tree like far before I was there. And all of a sudden they give me the tree and now I get to have the fruit from the tree. And, and, And I consider the reality of what if my parents during the seventh year, 11th month and 29th day looked at the tree, had no fruit on it and said, you know what? Forget this tree. We've been caring for this thing. We've been watering this thing. We've been uh, pruning this thing. We've been developing this thing for seven years, 11 months, and 29 days, and it's given us nothing. You all forget it. It's obviously not working. It's obviously not worth it. And I wonder if any of us are in the room have been giving for seven years, who have been forgiving for seven years, who have been reading your scripture for seven years, who have been being patient for seven years, who have been trusting God for a miracle for seven years, who have been trusting God for purpose for seven years, who have been trusting God for healing for seven years, 11 months, 29 days, and we're on the verge of saying, you know what, God, obviously it's not working, so who cares anymore? When God is just saying, be an everyday church, 
be an everyday church. Outcome is not your responsibility. Obedience is be an everyday church. The fruit will be take care of itself. Be an everyday church. Be an everyday church. Be an everyday church. We sow according to the spirit. Why? Because not outcomes are not our responsibility. They're God's. Here's the thing. You can't tell how many, you can tell how many seeds are in one apple, but you can't tell how many apples are in one seed. What has God given you? Just a seed? A small seed that you've been watering for seven years, 11 months, and 29 days. I don't know how long you've been watering it. But let me tell you something that I do know. Is that you have no idea the potential of the seed that God has entrusted to your stewardship. To be a long church means to be an everyday church. You got a kid who's not following Jesus? Every day. You got finances that haven't been resurrected yet? Every day. You got a place in your mind that still needs healing? Every Every day. You want a place in your family that still needs to be redeemed? Every day. It's not the end. Outcome is his responsibility. Obedience is ours. The long church means the everyday church. Keep watering. Scripture says if you do not quit, you will reap a harvest. This is the brick by brick, day by day, mundane, same old boring strokes church that don't amount to a lot maybe in the first seven years. But at the end, we see in the long haul, we become a long church that sows according to the spirit. And an everyday church is connected to an until heaven church. Until heaven, church, (laughs) whoever sows according to the spirit will reap everlasting life. You see, a long church, an until heaven church keeps heaven in mind. In everything that we do, we don't live for just today. We live for the sake of eternity. Knowing that if God has entrusted it to you, it has eternal value. We live with heaven in mind. We live with the end in mind. I don't live with just today in mind. I live knowing who I am and knowing who he is and knowing that he has a purpose of redeeming all things and making all things new. And there's one day where he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And I will live every single day until heaven comes. Sowing according to the spirit sowing with the awareness of God. And you know what this does? This gives us perspective that goes beyond today. This gives you strength to keep on going tomorrow. Because I'm not just going for today. I'm not just going for the quick fix. I'm not just going for the short-term gain. I'm going for the long-term goal. And Jesus has chosen to bless when we sow according to the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Are, are you weighty today? You feel heavy today? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
And let us run the race with endurance. The race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy of the Lord set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand in the throne of God. See, running the race with endurance and living until heaven just simply means living, looking at Jesus. <laughs> living, looking at Jesus. This changes our entire perspective from living what, for what we want immediately to living for what we want ultimately. Running the race with endurance. Pursuing the will of God over the long haul. Because if you're following Jesus, let me tell you something. You will spend the rest of your life following Jesus. You will spend the rest of your life pursuing Jesus. You will spend the rest of your life running with endurance while looking at Jesus. We're not going just day to day just for today and how, health, how comfortable is this and how convenient is this and how casual is this, but we're going for the sake of eternity until heaven. For the long run. And it's difficult for some of us because this inherently means that we're going to be swimming upstream against culture. Because our culture is short. Our culture is fads. Our culture is sensation. Our culture is I'll grab you today, I'll hold you for a little bit. Once the season's over, binge something else. But Jesus is saying, I'm committed to you for the long haul. A long church says, I'm committed to Jesus for the long haul. A long church says it's not just about permanence, that I'm here for a long time, but I'm committed to Jesus. I'm looking at Jesus. Discipleship is long. And some of our biggest issues is that we start to sacrifice what we want ultimately because we don't have something that we want immediately. We start to forsake tomorrow because of today. Using Jesus as a quick fix to my problems. I'll throw Jesus on top of it in hopes that he makes it better. Not pursuing Jesus and looking at him and sowing according to the spirit for the long haul. And what I see is we've, we've talked about sowing according to the spirit, but we haven't even talked about specifically what do you sow? Because you might be sitting here and saying, great, okay, cool, I got it, you got me, I got it, let's do it. But what do I sow? Like, what am I supposed to plant? What am I supposed to do? And I believe the Holy Spirit is probably showing you right now what you need to sow. You could, could, could you sow your talent? Sure. I believe it. Could, can you sow money and generosity? Absolutely. Can you sow your power and your influence? Yes. Can you sow your position? Can you sow your family? Can you sow your personal life? Can you sow your weekends? Yes, you can. And I don't think it ends there. Because the scripture says, you sow to the spirit and you'll reap eternal life. 
So I'm not sowing my money to reap eternal life. I, I can't sow my good intentions to reap eternal life. I, I, I can't sow my family to reap eternal life. I think the scripture is calling me to sow myself. I think the scripture is calling me to give myself. Now, can you give your money? Yes. Can you give your time? Yes. Can you give your talent? Can you give your power? Can you give your family? Yes. But if you want eternal life, it's not found there. You won't find it there. Jesus won't receive it from that. What he's asking you to do is he's saying, I've given you gospel potential in the form of a seed. And that seed is called your life. Would you sow the seed, not according to the flesh, not according to what you want, not according to what you feel, not according to the moment, but in every day until heaven, from God and towards God, running the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, founder, perfecter, type of faith. Can you sow yourself? What if we were a church that sowed ourselves and not just what we do, but who we are? I believe the Spirit is calling us to be a long church. And to be a long church, it doesn't mean just giving God whatever you have. It means giving God all of yourself. Sowing it, throwing yourself mercilessly to the purpose and the will of God in your life. Every single day, waking up and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. The long church. And why? Because of Jesus. I mean, the one man who truly sowed his whole life who endured the cross, despising the shame. And for the joy of the Lord set before him, went to the cross for you. Didn't so part of him, didn't so part of himself, but sold his whole self for you. Didn't treat you like you treat him, giving him just certain parts of yourself, but sold his whole self for you. Said, I consider it worthy. I consider it sowing according to the Spirit to give all that I have for these people. And in response, he's saying, I'm not asking for a perfect sowing. I'm not asking for your best sowing. I'm asking for all of your sowing. And would you sow not just the best of what you have, but would you sow yourself in a similar way that our Lord sowed himself for us? To be a long church that understands we live from God and towards God. And sowing and living as an everyday church and an until heaven church. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we honor you. We submit to your authority. God, we love you. God, would you convict us right now, Lord? Search me and know my thoughts. God, let us know what it is you want us to sow, how you want us to sow. 
according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. God, we thank you that you are the first one who truly sowed, truly gave it all, and held nothing back. And out of that gracious sacrifice, Lord, let us respond out of love, knowing that if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest.